Hello, and welcome to Do It For Grantly, a podcast brought to you by Fortress Fund Managers, where we speak with women and men in Barbados about their Grantleys and other money matters. I'm Kim Howard, Marketing Manager at Fortress, and my co-host is Omar Kennedy. Hello, listeners. An entrepreneur, author, and former financial manager. In today's episode, Not at the Dinner Table, we'll chat with two special guests about the importance of discussing money matters at home and why parents helping kids become financially literate is more important than ever before. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So let's get to it. Financial security doesn't grow on trees. It's built brick by brick with smart investments and a strong partner. To retirement, education, and whatever your future may hold, we say bring it on. At Fortress Fund Managers, we're not afraid of the hard work, long hours, or steady saving, just like you aren't. We know better than anyone that you can't just hope for good luck. Call Fortress Fund Managers on 435-7777 to build your personal fortress. Your future, our business, Fortress. Our guests today are Rene Delmas, who works with me over at Fortress. Always good to see you, Kim. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you. Rene is our pension fund director. And also joining us is Shelly Ann Hee Chung. Yes, Thank you for having me here. Thanks for coming. And Shellyanne is a business development expert, and she's been in business for over 20 years. Um, so we were very happy to have them both here to talk to us. So just a little background on Fortress, who we are and what we do. Fortress has been operating in Barbados. We're a Barbados-based and owned company operating in Barbados since 1996. We offer mutual funds to individuals and companies and essentially just assist people in growing their financial future. Securing their financial future, rather. Um, People often ask me, what are mutual funds? And I'll let Omar take that one up. A mutual fund is an investment product, really, that pulls together resources from all the different investors. So we can get, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 or 100 persons come into Fortress and say, I would like to invest in your mutual fund. So we pull all the monies together in one big pot and then the monies are then invested locally, regionally and internationally. It, it works on a process of diversification, not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So as I said, we take the monies and we invest it all over the world for you in investments which we believe will make money for you over the long run based on your investing preferences. So based on what you want to do, we could invest in a series of stocks, bonds, real estate, governments, public companies, all these different investments which will make a return for you over the long run. And essentially the reason, you know, you might ask, well, where would I give you my money to invest? The simple reason for that is there's the benefit of having somebody who actually knows what they're doing when they look at the markets as opposed to the rest of us who kind of look at these things and wonder what on earth all of these financial reports are all about. And the other benefit too is, well, aside from the fact that it's a great collection of money, then it can spread a lot further. Uh, the other benefit would be that there is there's the benefit of having somebody who knows what they're doing, the benefit of having the money spread out well diversified across the world, and also giving you access to investments that you may not otherwise have as an individual. So your $50 or $100 might not get very far if you're trying to buy into a company in Tokyo, but as part of a mutual fund, you own tiny parts of shares in that company somewhere else across the world. One thing I'd like to add as well is when you're traveling, you know, to New York or Miami, you don't tell the pilot how to fly the plane. And likewise, 
with your investments, it's not always best to do it yourself. You find persons who are professionals in the field, and once you do that, you can be rest assured that your money will be invested in the best way possible. That's pretty much it. Um, so we're going to jump right into our discussion, and I'm going to start with Shelly. So Shelly, you are a mother of three. You've yes, got- I am a mother of three young boys. I would say fairly young. My oldest is 14, my second is 12, and my youngest is six years old. Yes. So at what age were you introduced to, to money? I guess um, generally from memory, because as a child, you're obviously given what you will call your stipend or your allowance, and you're then in a position as simple and as, as far back as that may sound. That is when, as children, you become oriented with the concept of money. How do I now spend my allowance? What do I prioritize on? Do I want to buy a snack? Do I want to buy a juice? Or do I want to get that doll? And as simple as that sounds, it plays a pivotal... That is, that is basically the start of that entire concept of financial management as a child. All right. And have you talked to your kids about money as well in terms of their allowance? Do you give them an allowance? Fast forward to quite a few years later, we, would, we won't say how many years, but yes, we do. We have that discussion and only recently we started to give our children an allowance. And the reason for that is because we wanted them to focus on other aspects of how they can now value certain things that they want to achieve in life and also work and earn. So an allowance is not an entitlement. You have to earn that and work towards it. Okay. A question from me. I'm, I'm skipping ahead a few years. And um, in terms of investments like in mutual funds, when do you think would be a good age to speak to your children about it? Should you speak to them when they are, you know, in... in in primary school and they're now learning about money they're not getting their allowance should you wait until they've passed 11 plus um, type age um, 11 years old or older CXE what, what, what is your take on teaching about the, the more structured financial products I would say start at the foundation so from early primary school even from kindergarten you can start to configure your conversations to tailor to that age group it may not be the uh, context around would you like a mutual fund account <laughs> but at least to start a study foundation so that they can, as they proceed through their childhood and their development, it can help guide their financial decisions. Agreed. Renee, what about you? Um, your dad, you have a couple of kids, I think. Just, just four. <laughs> just four. Just four. <laughs> Ranging from ages 28 back down to 21. Okay. And at what point did you start talking to them about money? Hmm. Well, like Shelley, I was fortunate, first of all, from my experience growing up with a father who was very open about money. Mm-hmm. I always remember the days of sitting on the bed with him. He had the Financial Times. Not that I understood what was in it, mm-hmm. but it was that pink paper. Financial Times were pink. I think it still is, but it, there. And he had all his books because he was a self-taught businessman. He, he never finished school. His parents died early. He had to leave. Um, so, you know, commerce made early, bookkeeping made early, whatever. Um, so the concept of money and and in- financial instruments other than a savings account in a bank were, were there in my, in my upbringing from early. Again, not that I really understood it, but it was there. And I guess it was really my grandmother who lived with us who really taught me about some of the concepts um, Shelley spoke about. Um, 
you're not entitled to money. You have to earn it. And I could, you know, some things stick vividly in your mind and I can remember saying, okay, we always used to go to the races on a Saturday um, and we needed money to buy snow cones. We didn't bet on horses, but played games and that kind of thing. And we had to pick up stones and put them in a bucket for my grandmother who was developing a, a garden plot. And I can tell you, filling a bucket with stones for 25 cents is not, is not easy. But it was that little incident where nothing is free in life. You, you have to, you got to be, in, you know, you're not entitled to it. You have to earn it. And then we went off and, and, and spent. Every last cent. Every last cent. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say my, my parents really didn't sit down and have formal meetings with me on a one-to-one about money. But the concept of money and investment was there from, 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 from early. And then as for my children, um, similar to Shelley, we didn't have any formal discussions. But when birthdays came along and people gave money, I would sit down. Some of them would go to invest in government bonds. I did that very early on in life. And as they got older, I remember telling them, well, look, you can take some because it's yours. You can spend it how you like. But you've got to remember to invest and save the rest and also to give, you know, at church to those less fortunate. So it was these small little things that we tried to instill in them. Um, and if I could just say one one more thing, I, I think they have it much harder, and probably every generation will probably have it much harder than the previous one, because now with the availability of credit cards, you know, you can get a credit card and you don't even have a job, you know. Instant gratification is, is, is there around you. And I, and I always have told, told, I always tell my children, when I went on my honeymoon, I had to get traveler's checks. Now, Omar, I don't know if you know what traveler's <laughs> checks are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these pre-authorized US denominated checks, because we didn't have credit cards back in the, in the 80s. Or, uh, Barbados didn't have when I got married in 87. And you had to earn, you got the money, you went to a bank, you exchanged your Barbados money for these traveler's checks, and then you went away. But if you spent it all, there was no credit card to whip up and, and thing. So, it, so I've tried to pass that on down to them, that there's the whole budgeting process, try to spend less than you earn, save and invest the rest. So pretty fortunate, I, I've tried to pass it on to my children, and I hope that they've Taking it, taking it on to them. So, I know that there's some people you know that I will encounter who say to me, "Well, you know, we never really sat down and talked about money." Um, I think for me, it was almost by osmosis. So, like you said, there was no formal discussion. I was encouraged to save. I had a piggy bank. I, yeah, I, I think that was about it. I had a piggy bank, and then I, we opened a bank account. So I had a bank account, so I would put some money on the bank account, and I was always excited to see what was growing in the bank account. Um, but in terms of what else there was outside of that, I wasn't exposed to that until I was an adult, essentially. And I, the other thing I would, knew about were meeting turns. I knew about meeting turns. I actually started my first... I, I threw a meeting turn when I was in class four. And it was just a small, you know, sense... Um, that we used to collect, and I'm probably sure that whatever I collected used to go in tamarind balls or something like that. Mm. <laughs> but uh, that was the extent to my 
knowledge of, of funding, of funds, I guess, and, and money. Well, what I would tell you, Kim, even not knowing about these things until mm-hmm. you're an adult, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. There's something that I know Renee and I have often said at meetings we've been at is you're never too early or too late to start thinking about investing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started my investing process at a relatively young age, but I did it as an adult. And, you know, once I started, I never stopped because I knew that in the long run, given the historical returns of the mutual funds I was investing in, when my investment horizon had struck and I had hit my, my, my the, the, the point in time where I knew I wanted to take out the cash, that I should have a decent sum of money put down there for whatever project or whatever thing I want to do with it. So I, I would always encourage the listeners, you know, if you are 10, if you are 15, if you are 20, you are 90, start today because it makes a big difference. I think a lot of people are afraid of what they don't know. So they they think about it as something innocuous, something that they are not quite familiar with, they're not an expert in. They may know whatever they do, they're uh doctor or they're a lawyer or they are a fisherman and so they know about that they know about paying whatever is associated with that but they don't necessarily um they don't feel comfortable and I've had people say that to me that they're not necessarily comfortable so what I I would like us to go away thinking about uh, and for our listeners to think about is when 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 would you like to have a conversation you know with your with your partner with your um, children, if you have, or you know, just with your your parents, like there are conversations that need to be had at all stages of our lives, and um, I think that, it, like Omar said, there's no, it's never too late to start, and there's a benefit to everybody involved. Agreed. Um, I would like to add at this point, um, in terms of family, I got my mother to start investing. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like my mother taught me about the rules of investing, although she did teach me the fundamental concepts about money. I taught her about investing, and when she wants to invest, she comes to me. You know, so so these are these are things. It doesn't just go one way, going down, teaching down the the age the age bracket. It can go sideways and it can go up. So I like to ask the the, the the guests today: Have you spoken to your parents? Do you speak to your uncles and aunts, your cousins, your brothers, your sisters about investing as well? Um, so if I may share, very similar to Rennie's experience, where as a child growing up and into adulthood, there was very little formal. Um, information on saving. The piggy bank worked quite well up until you got a job and that's when you were required obviously to open a bank account and having not had that discussion whether it be with family or whether it be in the school system what I found is that when you when you started to look at investment so now you're earning a salary what do you do with it it became a little bit of an intimidating conversation to start with. And why intimidating is because you're now in a position, I'm earning X amount, what do I do with it? I'm being told about all these funds and these savings accounts and units and insurance. Where do I really focus? Which is why coming back now to that education and that information early with our kids. So to answer your question, Omar, that is a conversation I started to have in terms of with my children. What are the various options that are out there? And as you mentioned earlier, we are not experts in the field of investment. So for me to sit and have an educated discussion with my 14-year-old about a specific mutual fund or a specific life insurance fund, that's not my area. Yes, Google is our friend, but we also have experts out there, so which is where we as parents would have engaged 
financial advisors to help us in that discussion so we can better understand. And now, I don't want to say um, simplify, rather, the discussion in having it with our kids. And as a matter of fact, when we were speaking with the financial advisor, our kids sat in to certain aspects of the discussions as well. So they will not experience what I experienced when I hit the job market and now having to make decisions and not having full access and being and encountering that conversation for the first time at that age. What do you think are some of the the things that okay, so in you said that your kids were involved in that discussion or at least some aspects of the discussion. Yes. Are there particular areas that you think that your your children should definitely be a part um, or should you should identify financially that their kids need to be aware of? So we spoke about, we spoke a little bit about expenses earlier and we spoke about investment. Those are two sides of the coin or the revenue coming in. Um, one of the conversations that we also expose our children to are the expenses side of life. We, be, we are real with them. It is important that our children understand as adults, we have commitments and they too have financial commitments and there are consequences um, if we choose based on the choices that we make. So from a financial aspect of it, if I have $10 and I decide to spend my $10 on candy, as opposed to thinking long term that, you know, we're aiming for a cruise. I'll give you a real time example. We've been saying to our son, boys rather, my husband, our vision, our goal is to go on a cruise, not the catamaran cruises, <laughs> probably a seven-day cruise in the Caribbean. We'll start off on a cruise coming out of home first, but we have to save for it. So we started that discussion last year in July, and I remember driving by the port in November, and my six-year-old looks at, there were about three ships in, and he says, Mommy, is that the boat that we're going to go on? I said, probably one of those, yes. He said, well, my dollar that I have in my pocket for Popsicle today, I'm going to put it towards the cruise, okay? Again, it comes back to long-term, what is our objective? And it comes back to, again, we understand that we have a certain pool, we understand we have a budget, we understand we have expenses. When you leave the air condition on and the light bill doubles up at the end of the month, that le- that's less money to go towards saving, that's less money towards allowance, and that's less money towards our cruise. So it's important that they understand both sides of the coins as well. If I could just jump in here and agree totally with, with Shelley. Uh, strange that she mentioned the cruise because... The cruise was actually the first holiday I was able to take my family on, but that was only after 15 years of marriage because it took me that long that I can afford to pay for six passages on a cruise. <laughs> and, and that was reality. Some people say, well, why you had four children? I said, that doesn't... You didn't get a memo. You know, there you go. Um, so, again, the, the, the important thing, I always tell my children, you've got to spend less than you earn. And it, may, it is so difficult now with these credit cards. And I'm not knocking credit cards. It, like, like a tool, if you misuse it, it will hurt you. But you've got to spend less than you earn. And if you can do that and budget and forget about this instant gratification that we all want to have, you know, then we can... And, and if it takes you X years before you achieve your objective, whatever that is, then so be it. But everybody's position is different. Yes. You just have to make yours work. I think you're, what you're talking essentially about is goal setting as well and short term and long term. Yes. And I think uh, you mentioned earlier, Rene, that, you know, with 
credit cards allows us to feel instantly gratified because you can have it right now. So there is no need to save for 15 years because once you've got a limit that allows it, you can. But the challenge with that is, of course, you have to pay it back. And at what rate you have to pay it back. So um, that's 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 good, Chili, too, that you've identified. You know, you help the boys to see that, you know, well, we want this thing and this is what we're going to have to do. And your six-year-old has picked up on that, the fact that if he sacrifices a popsicle today, that's $1 closer towards getting on a cruise. Don't mind it won't buy him even a lollipop. On Precisely. Boat, and we'll probably have a few years to save up with the dollar, but that's okay. <laughs> At least we have that goal in mind. Are there any particular long-term goals that you think families should, should more discuss? I mean, those are, I guess, a, a cruise 15 years old is a medium-term goal. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, from my personal experience in the environment that I grew up in, once I got a job and got married, the next logical thing was a house. Mm -hmm. Um, That has changed somewhat now because my children, so far away from owning a property, they just don't see it as a priority. But certainly for me, that was the focus. And I think within two years of getting married, you know, we had the mortgage, had the house, and now that's now paid off. And I, I'm just smiling all the way <laughs> to the bank since August last year. Um, so that's, that's a, I think real estate is, a, is an excellent asset for the long term because, you know, once it's paid off, you can then rent it out, you can leverage it again and borrow some money, you can pass it on to your kids uh, at some point. So I think, as, as you correctly said, Kim, you need to break it down short, medium, and long. And, and work the goals in and, and set up your action plans to accomplish. No, you mentioned that. You mentioned your mortgage. That's a very, very important um, thing in, in, in families because it can impact on, on your entire family very heavily. If you have a two-person mortgage, you know, you and your spouse separate, somebody unfortunately passes away, someone becomes ill, it can really impact on your long-term loans. Um, I think these sort of things are also important to speak to your children on, not just how you spend your cash today or how you spend it tomorrow, but the real long-term debts that that you get. You know, um, a house will tend to increase in value, whereas a car will not. You know, um, do do you discuss these things as well with, with your kids? We do. We do, definitely in our case. And again, because we believe in exposing them, which some parents may or may not agree with, um, we try to keep it as real as possible in all aspects with our children. And even in the decision-making process, we include them and we involve them in that conversation as well. And just to add what Omar was saying, interestingly said about a car. You know, most people think, oh, that's an asset. But a car is really a liability, you know. And once these financial concepts are are taught and and you you realise, then, you know, life and and your path forward becomes a lot clearer by clearing up these misconceptions. And again, I'm not saying we don't need a car. Yes, we do. But we don't need a new car every five years. It's true. Secondhand cars work equally as well. There are actually people who advocate that you should never buy a new one. Absolutely, um, and, and if you can, you know, if you can do that, by all means. Um, I think I'm, I'm remembering something that Omar mentioned earlier on about um, early. The earlier you invest, the better. These things we've learned at school compound interest. You know, th- that is a magic formula that works 
over time. And the earlier you start, the better. So again, another financial concept that we know in school, but we now have to apply it apply in the it. real world when we speak to about investments to make life easier for you. That's very true because I remember stumbling across, when I first started working with Fortress and stumbling across the um, dimension of compound interest and the value of it. And I was like, I think I did this in second form or maybe third form. And I was casting my mind back and I was like, well, somebody should have explained to me why that was important to learn at the time. It just seemed like something I had to do to get right on a test, but it actually had serious implications for everything that you borrow, spend um, or invest in. And the other thing I wanted to just mention, too, in terms of, you know, you're talking about we were talking about short term, medium and long term goals. But to remember that there's, it's not as simple as putting that money in the piggy bank to achieve those things. That's where the value of compound interest comes in. So you need to do something beyond just stuffing it in your mattress, God forbid, or um, putting it on the bank because... God forbid. <laughs> well, but that's at least safer than stuffing it in your mattress. However, um, aside from you know whatever penalties or charges that you may incur from that, they're just the level of growth is going to be a lot smaller. And the concept again came of the difference between saving and investing. Two different concepts. Yes, right. But you've got to know yes. what they are and okay. what they mean. Well, I guess we'll have to tackle that at some other point. Thank you guys for both for being here and telling us a little bit more about your families and your family discussions. And hope everyone will give this some thought and think about whether they can go in and talk to their partners, their parents, and share, learn, teach, seek to find out. What else? And don't, don't believe that only somebody older can teach you something or that you can't learn something new that you didn't know before, even if you've known somebody most of your life. Do It For Grantly is a production of Fortress Fund Managers. Listen to more episodes on SoundCloud or on our website, fortressfund.com. That's fortressfund.com. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at fortressfund.com or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Fortress Fund Managers. Most people find out about podcasts through recommendations. So spread the word and tell your friends about our show. Until next time, I'm Kim Howard. And I'm Omar Kennedy. Thanks for listening. 